reaction to the following situations. And some of these may seem very out there in the sense that you wouldn't see yourself ever being in these situations. But I want you to try to imagine that you are or could be in these situations and what you sincerely think your reactions would be to them. Put yourself in a situation where you are jailed unjustly due to the jealousy and vanity of others, even those in authority. What would your reaction be? How about having the knowledge that there are others, even some who previously have been partners in life, who are rejoicing over your imprisonment? You're not only jailed unjustly, but now here are those who are partners in life who are rejoicing that you're in prison. What would your reaction be? You desire to travel, but you can't. You're, you're incapable of traveling the way that you desire to. And then you learn of the sickness of a close friend. Not just a cold or something that Yes, they'll have for a little while and get over, but to the point of fearing for their lives. You face opposition from deceivers and liars. And then, within the community that you are a part of, there is infighting among companions. Sounds like a whole lot of bad, doesn't it? If you found yourself in those situations, how would you react? Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't picture myself in those situations. Okay, put yourself in the situations of daily life where you find yourself right now, the bad. How do you react? What are your reactions like to those situations? If I'm honest with you, often when I face these types of situations, my reactions spring from my human nature. Is that ever the case with you? Do you find yourself when you face hardships like these, or maybe it's not even things as bad as all this. You're commuting to work and somebody cuts you off. Or better yet, the light turns green and they're not moving yet. Something goes wrong at the house. You, you don't get to uh, watch the entire game the way you plan to. Do you find that there are times when 
your reaction to those things springs out of your human nature. But we who are believers in Jesus should grow so that our reactions, even to things like these, spring from our divine nature. Isn't it true that God tells us he's given that to us? Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter chapter 1. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has made us partakers of the divine nature. God has provided for us so that we who are human, and we have human tendencies, and we still have a human nature, God has provided for us so that we have something more. We have something better. The response that, that we should have to these types of situations is the response that Paul writes to us about in Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to join me there today. Philippians chapter 4. It, it is a familiar text of scripture, but there is a segment to it that I think it's easy for us to overlook. And as we think about Thanksgiving week and we think about our tendencies as people, I want to preach to you on this thought, nothing, everything, anything. And you'll see how this comes together here in the text. And I want you to understand, Paul is writing to us from a place of human experience. All of those situations I gave to you and asked you, what would your reaction to these things be? Understand that was everything that Paul had experienced and was experiencing as he penned this letter. He was sitting in jail unjustly, placed there by authorities who were simply jealous and vain. He had experienced those who had been partners in life and ministry now rejoicing over the fact that he was in prison. He had a close companion who was sick to the point of death. That's at the end of Philippians chapter 2. He, he experienced opposition from deceivers and liars. He wrote here in chapter 4 about companions who were infighting within the local church community and he saw how that had an effect on the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Paul is not writing to you and I as someone who was exempt from these things and he's lording over us and telling us, hey, you need to react this way. He's writing to us from a place of his own personal human experience. And he shows us what a reaction that springs from our divine nature looks like. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation, if you will, your gentleness, your 
humility, your meekness. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, and here's the part that it's easy for us to skip over. Say the next two words with me aloud, please. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't remember which day it was this past week, but it out to me as my wife and I, as we regularly do, take time in the morning to read and pray together. My wife was praying, and as she was looking forward to this Thanksgiving week, she she prayed a portion of Hebrews 13, verse 15, which speaks of God being pleased with our sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Can, can I ask you a simple question? You'll need to think this morning. Has there ever been a time when praise for you has been sacrificial? When and how can praise, giving thanks to God, be considered a sacrifice? And I suppose the simple answer is, well, anytime we give praise to God or anytime we give thanks to God, it would be a sacrifice. But can I ask you to think deeper than that today? As I read in Philippians chapter 4, and you understand everything that's going his personal human experience Paul is writing to a church right on the heels of correcting deceivers and false teachers right on the heels of correcting infighting among these local church companions partners in ministry Paul writes these commands rejoice let your moderation, your gentleness, your humility, your meekness be known. Be careful for nothing. But in every by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests. He's writing that here, within that context of his personal human experience. And what I gather is this. If we have to be told these things, isn't it true that there are times when it would not be natural for us to rejoice? Isn't it true that there would be times when it would be natural for us to be anxious and worry? I wonder if a deeper application of, well, it's always a sacrifice to give thanks to God, to praise God, is... That if we praise and give thanks to God in those moments. If that's not what it is. To be sacrificial in giving thanks to God. 
I believe that God would have you and I as followers of Jesus Christ to develop thanksgiving as our reaction, not just when it makes sense, not just when that might even be the normal thing for our human nature, but when we face even those things that we would give thanks, that we would live thanksgiving. I want you to see just very simply this morning the three commands specifically focused in verse number six today. In this idea of nothing, everything, and anything, where do they connect? What Paul tells us is this, we're to be anxious, we're to be careful about nothing. Now hold up, Paul. Certainly there are some exemptions. Certainly there are some things. Maybe, maybe in the deep Greek meaning of this word nothing, there are there's room for some exceptions to that command. And you know what I find as I look up in the deep Greek what nothing means? It means nothing. It means not even one, not even one thing, not even one person, not even one event, not even one experience. Nothing. Anxious for nothing. Jesus, by the way, gave the same command. Did you know that? Go back to Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, over and over he said, take no thought. Take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your raiment. Take no thought for your food. Take no thought over and over. The Greek word is the same word that's translated here, be careful. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. And I know what our tendency is. I know what our thought is. I know what we've heard. I've heard it said this way before. I don't remember the original writer who, who wrote this. But I've heard it said in preaching. And frankly, I've said it in preaching. Tell me if you've heard this. 90% of what you worry about never happens anyway. You heard that? But here was my thought. That means that 10% of what we worry about does happen. Right? Your car won't start. And you worry the engine's gone. And there are times the engine's gone. the doctor finds a mass and you worry it's malignant and guess what there are times when people have that worry and then they go back to the doctor after all the testing is done and the tumor is malignant you have those circumstances in your life and you run down the list of all the possible bad things it could be or the bad ways it could turn out. And 
there are times when it turns out that way. When it is that outcome. It's easy enough, isn't it, to say 90% of what you worry about doesn't happen anyway. Well, what about the 10%? In our tendency, our, our thought is to, to turn to worry, to turn to anxiousness. All that comes along with it. The, the physical symptoms that come along with it the hypertension, the blood pressure, the, the increased, increased heart rate, and the jitteriness, and the sleeplessness, and all of those things. We, we struggle with that. It is natural to our humanity that when those types of situations come up, that when even there's just a thought that a situation like that could come up, that it will be the worst possible news, it will be the worst possible outcome, and there are times when it is. And yet, what does he say? Be careful for nothing. Paul is not denying what is common to our human nature. And by the way, in case you were unaware, you are human. I am human. But God calls us to something higher. He's provided something better. He's given us his Holy Spirit if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And last I checked, the fruit of the Spirit is not love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, anxiety. Worry. Be anxious about nothing. And then that's where the everything comes in. Okay, so when I face that situation where anxiety would be the natural human response, what then? And here's Paul's response. Pray about everything. God has given us a resource, a tool that we can go to when those things happen that would naturally cause anxiety, that would naturally cause worry, that would naturally bring fear. And that tool, that resource he's given us is prayer. So be anxious about nothing, number one. Number two, pray about everything. Doesn't he say, be careful for nothing, but in everything. In everything. Do you understand today that there is nothing outside of the sphere of God's care, concern, and compassion for you? He loves you with an unfailing love. He desires your good. 
There is nothing today that you would care about. There is nothing today that you may be anxious about, that you may worry about naturally, that you, you would have to walk away from and you go, you know what, I don't have any avenue outside of anxiety because God wouldn't care about this. No, God cares about it all, and whatever you care about, God cares about. I had a first-time experience this week. I have said for a little over seven years since we have lived here in North Carolina is people have asked me the question, have you ever hunted? Do you ever hunt? I've said for seven years, no, but when someone invites me, I'll go. I've waited for seven years. So I decided to take matters into my own hands and decided this year I was going to attempt, try my hand at hunting. And so I, I have hunted on three occasions, just for brief periods of time. Each time it's been about two hours that I've set aside to go out and try to, to get a deer. The latest occasion was on Friday. And, and you understand that I'm not doing this for, for sport or pleasure so much as meat. I'm just going to be transparent. Get some meat for my family. It takes a little bit of investment on the front end. And as I was sitting on Friday, and in three hunts, I, I've heard some things. I, I've not seen a deer. I was sitting there at about 4.30 on Friday afternoon, and I was praying, saying, Lord, bring me a deer. Pastor, God won't care about that. Sure he does. Lord, I, I've invested for this thing, to, to provide some meat for my family. Bring me a deer. About 5.10 Friday afternoon is... It was drawing toward the end of the time that, that you could legally shoot a deer. I hadn't heard or seen a thing for a couple of hours. I stood to my feet. I put my gun in the pouch. And not ten seconds later, I heard a loud noise across the way. Looked up, and there it was. A deer. I got all jittery, got excited, got set, pulled the trigger, and that deer dumped and took off into the woods. And then my prayer changed. Lord, help me to find this deer. <laughs> don't, don't bring me a deer and let it be wasted because I couldn't find it. I found the deer, by the way. But at the same time, I had another prayer this week, too. There's someone I know that I communicate with on a regular basis. Several months ago, her husband was found to have had a brain tumor. And on Friday morning, they had to go to Boston, where his brain tumor was going to be operated on. The doctors set aside 12 hours. For this procedure in part because the tumor though believed to be benign there were two important nerves wrapped around that tumor and we prayed 
earnestly for that situation. And I heard early Friday afternoon that the surgery only took five hours and went as well as could be expected. Would you agree that those two things are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum? As far as seriousness. One, you laugh and you chuckle at the other, you shake your head and go, my goodness. But do you know what's true? God cared about both. And friends, listen to me. In your life and mine, there is not a thing in your life that you would go through or that you would experience or that you face that God doesn't care about, nor is it beyond his power to do something about. Do you believe that today? God tells us, be anxious about nothing. Instead, pray about everything. But then here's the part that's easy to jump over. He tells us to give thanks about anything. Be careful for nothing. Don't don't be anxious about anything. Uh, about, be anxious about nothing, excuse me. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, pray about everything. And then thirdly, Give thanks about anything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What does that mean? I asked my wife, actually just this morning, about this passage. And I asked her, when you think of that verse that statement in that verse in context what does it mean what have you heard it preached or said to me and she, her response was well give give thanks for trials give thanks for suffering okay maybe maybe that's your thought your approach i've heard it said this way tell me if you've heard it this way well what God means is give thanks before you get the answer to that prayer. So in other words, there's something that you're concerned about, and you are going to, going to take it to God and pray about it, and you're going to go ahead right then and give him thanks for the answer. Have you ever applied it this way in your life? I don't know if you have. Maybe it's just me. I can think of many times in my life where I've applied it this way. I may have even done it with the deer. I don't know. I was crying out to God a lot about the deer. But you lose something, and it's something you really don't want lost and you need found. And you pray and ask God to help you to find it. And you look and you don't find it. So you pray again and ask God to help you find it, and you thank God for helping you find it, and then you find it. Anybody else done that? Okay, good, I'm not the only one. Maybe that's the approach. Well, if, 
if I pray about it and give thanks to God, then he'll respond, then he'll answer. And the reality is that there may be times when that happens, but that isn't what Paul says happens in response here in this text. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I started thinking a little bit about this idea with Thanksgiving. What does it mean beyond give thanks, beyond praise God? What does it mean? How, how would it come out? in this text of scripture. And I thought of two things I want to throw at you today. Don't worry, I won't actually throw, but give to you. Number one is this idea of experience. When, and we've heard it preached, we've heard it said, when you're in that situation, when, when you're in that difficulty, when the natural human reaction might be anger, might be anxiety, might be whatever. And you take a moment and you take a step back and you think. You, you've heard this said, you've heard this preached, you've heard it taught. When you're in that situation, think back to the other times you've been in similar situations and, and God has delivered you. God has shown you his mercy. God has been gracious to you. God has worked in miraculous ways. And when you think back on those times, it will give you hope it will give you encouragement. It, it will grow your faith. It will inspire your faith in the current situation to trust God. And I think that's in play here. This idea of experience. I can give God thanks again for all those times that he's given deliverance in the past. For all those times I've experienced his mercy, his grace, his help in the past. But then I think there's something else along with experience. I think there's this idea of expectation. Okay, well, doesn't this go along with that idea of, you know, give thanks to God first and then you'll get the answer? Perhaps. but I have something a little different in mind yet still. And I'll try to explain and illustrate as best I can humanly. My family recently took a trip. We were gone for about three and a half weeks. And transparently, this was not just a normal vacation. We needed to get away. We needed to, to go away for a while. And like you experience at different points and things in your life, can I just tell you that there are times when pastoring is hard. 
And it's hard not only on a pastor, it's at times even harder on his family. And we needed some time away. Can I share with you that some of that relates to in seven and a half years of ministry here, not everything has turned out the way that we hoped or expected when we came. Not everything is as we always dreamed it would be. And if I'm completely transparent, there are times when that comes out in frustration, anger, Yes, even toward God. And I thought about all the times that I've called out to God. That we've cried out to God asking for things. That we dream about. That we'd like to see take place. And as I then do what I believe God's called me to do, and I don't always see that, it's easy at times to get discouraged, to get frustrated, to get angry. I'm only human like you are. But I was laying awake early this morning continuing to think through the message today and God brought this challenge and this conviction to my heart Mike in all the times that you've cried out to me and that you've prayed to me for these things and all the times that you've come back to me in your frustration and your anger which by the way God's okay with you can take all that to him. How many times have you come with thanksgiving? Giving thanks in expectation that I will respond, that I will work and do Let me ask you, when you go to God with that same type of reaction, facing the difficulties and the problems and the challenges of your life, do you also take God your sacrifice of praise in expectation? You say, well, pastor, what about those times that I take God my request, I take God my prayer, and he doesn't answer, or he answers in a different way than I prayed. And here's the reality, here's the truth that God challenged me with in the early hours this morning. Do you know what God does? 
when we come to him in this way, when we turn our anxiety into prayer with thanksgiving, we can think back on those experiences, but even more, we can come away with an expectation that God hears, that God responds, that he answers in a better way. You say, wait a minute. You're telling me that when God answers my prayer, even in a way that I didn't pray, that God's answer is going to be better than what I hoped for and prayed for. Yes. Paul also knew that from personal human experience, didn't he? Another familiar passage. Would you listen to what he said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10? What did he say there? And lest I should be exalted above measure. By the way, context is so important. Paul is going to talk about, you know what? If it weren't for this thorn in the flesh, everything that I've done and I do in ministry, I'd get a big head about. I'd be lifted up with pride about. He said, Last I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation given to me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Can I, can I stop and pause a moment? What had Paul done to that point? He had been careful for nothing. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't worried about it. Instead, he prayed about it. And what was Paul's prayer request? It's there, isn't it? What was the prayer request? Take the thorn away. That's what Paul prayed, isn't it? Did God take the thorn away? No. But you know what God did? He answered Paul's prayer and I've preached this passage before the idea of when God says no and we could look at this passage and say God said no to Paul but do you know what he did no Paul I'm not going to do that I'm going to do something what better but Paul still has the thorn in the flesh he does Paul still experienced pain if it was physical. He did. Paul still experienced mental, emotional anguish, whether it was physical or that to begin with. He did. Paul still had a spiritual struggle. Perhaps he did over it. But what God did was even better than what Paul hoped for. Because Jesus showed up and spoke into his situation and said what? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. What did Paul determine to do? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret over it. I'm not going to be angry and bitter about it. I'm going to glory. And by the way, notice what Paul says there. 
it wasn't just about that thorn in the flesh, was it? What did he say? Paul said, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Paul said, I learned from that, that in all of these others that I face, I'm going to glory in them. Why? Because they're wonderful experiences. No. Because they bring so much happiness and pleasure to my life. No. Because he learned when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In other words, Paul carried what he learned with him into every other experience in life with an expectation. When I'm naturally going to worry, I'm going to pray instead. And I'm going to offer thanks to God, knowing that even if he answers my prayer differently from what I hoped for or prayed for, that what God's going to provide is something better than what I prayed for. My wife shared this with me this morning. She wanted me to read it for myself. I, I don't believe she intended me to bring it and use it here today, but it, it is fitting. She's reading this book. It's the biography of Elizabeth Elliot's life and she shared with me that that Elizabeth Elliot um, speaks in this book about after a book she had written was so well received she um, tried her hand at a fictional book and the fictional book was about a missionary woman who served and so on it, it really kind of Elizabeth's experience in Ecuador and at the end of the book there was no great victory there there was no tremendous fruit or response to the gospel or anything like that and what it was was it was meant to be a lesson in better who God is through difficulty and trial. And listen to what she writes. She writes, she went on to explain to us that the graven image, which by the way is the title of that book, was a God who always acted the way we thought he should. Or more to the point, he was a God who supported our plans, how we thought the world and history should go, that is a God of our own creation, a counterfeit God. Such a God is really just a projection of our own wisdom, of our own self. In that way of operating, God is our accomplice, someone to whom we relate as long as he is doing what we want. If he does something else, we want to fire him or unfriend him, as we would any personal assistant who was insubordinate or incompetent. She goes on to say the demise of her plans had shattered her false god. Now she was free for the first time to worship the true one. When serving the god of my plans, she had been extraordinarily anxious. 
She had never been sure that God was going to come through for her and get it right. She was always trying to figure out how to bring God to do what she had planned. But she had not really been treating him as God, the all-wise, all-good, all-powerful one. Now, she had been liberated to put her hope not in her agendas and plans, but in God himself. Are there ever times where you've struggled with the idea that God's gotten it wrong somehow? God didn't come through when I wanted him to, the way I wanted him to. I wonder if that response is a graven image. It's an idol of our own making. God tells us, be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Give thanks for anything. I think we can do that when we remember those experiences we've had and when we take on a mindset of expectation, not that God's going to do exactly what I ask him to do, but he will respond, and the way he responds will be better than what I thought or prayed. Why is this so important? It's so important because we love verse 7, don't we? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You love that, don't you? I do too. What a God of grace he is and goodness. But do you understand today that verse 7 is conditional. It's one of those conditional promises. What's a conditional promise? It's a promise that is predicated on the activity of another. And that promise of God is predicated on what I do. If I sit around with that situation and I just stew and worry over it, should I expect to experience God's peace? And the answer is no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't expect it. So, if you are in a situation right now and you're not at peace, You're in that situation, and in that situation, you don't know what it is to experience God's peace that passes all understanding. You don't know what it is to be at peace with a situation that the average person would be a wreck over. Then perhaps you're not at peace. Because you've not been anxious for nothing, prayed about everything, given thanks for anything. 
how to make Thanksgiving sacrificial. Let me challenge you to do something this week. Often there's a time with someone, even if it's just yourself, that you spend time around a table, maybe it's just in personal time with the Lord, and you during this week will will find something or some things that you're thankful for and for many of us I'm thankful for my family I'm thankful for my children I'm thankful for my grandchildren I'm thankful for my spouse I, I'm thankful for my job I'm thankful for my salvation I, those are the things we list right let me challenge you Let's, let's grow. This week, during Thanksgiving week, list at least three things that you are sacrificially thankful for. What might that be in your life? That'll require some thought. It might bring some conviction. What am I sacrificially thankful for? One writer wrote this. Giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It's a matter of obedience. Giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It's a matter of Perhaps you lack thanksgiving. A lack of thanksgiving can lead to a lack of God's peace. But if you and I will learn to be anxious about nothing, to pray about everything, and to give thanks about anything, we can experience that peace.